Well, good morning, everyone. Still in the morning, although ice cream is coming. Ice cream! All right, I'm sorry I had to say that because I just love ice cream. Okay, but uh, this morning, we're so grateful that you guys are here and that we're able to come together to start our children's ministry, a launch. We're so excited about uh, the fact that you guys are here, that some of the families that we haven't been able to get a chance to see that we're seeing here in our building. For those out there, uh, out there on Facebook Live, we welcome you and, and just saying that thank you for uh, joining us, joining us each week. We know soon and very soon you'll be able to come out. We're starting to uh, open up the doors for our children's ministry, hopefully soon the youth ministry, and then move towards opening up other ministries in the coming months. So we welcome you to come. It's a safe environment, exciting environment, and it's exciting to see more people coming out even today. So we welcome you. You know, yesterday we had a work day. It was exciting to see everyone come together. We had about up to 50 people, as Pastor Dennis had mentioned, and we had a lot of younger people represented. Anybody younger than me is really considered young. So uh, if they were younger than me. So it was exciting to see that because now we're starting to see that the whole church is coming together to serve and to serve here. And so this coming series, or this series right now, the sermon series that we're going to be working on for the next three weeks is talking about all hands on deck. Now, I'm not talking about nautical terms. Uh, it's, we're talking more of coming together like a teamwork. And so when we were doing yesterday, what you saw was everyone was either with a paintbrush or, you know, working, like I was working on the back with some, on the deck, just, you know, filling in some spots. We had to take out some wood just to fill in some spots so that the deck was at least a little bit more secure. We'll keep working on that. People were painting in the mods. People were doing landscape, a lot of hard work, a lot going on, painting the pillars by our school entrance. Really exciting stuff. I mean, so exciting that we were painting in the mod, mod 1B, and uh, Matt and Jody Duransky were in there too, cleaning and painting, and, you know, I had Jody use my roller, and the roller was squeaking, and it was squeaking, 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 and so I just told her, I'm really sorry uh, for the squeaky roller, um, and she goes, that's okay, when you're preaching tomorrow, I'll make sure that I'll take it with me, so in case you go too long, I'm going to make sure you hear that sound, so she's not here, so I'm still going to try to go as fast as I can, but... We were just having a really good time, enjoying one another's fellowship and gathering together. But what was our motivation? Why did we participate? Why do we participate when it comes to the kingdom of God and the church and what we're supposed to do? I mean, it's important for us to ask that question because I hope that our motivation is for the purpose of bringing honor and glory to God. And we're going to talk a little bit about that this morning and so I entitled it today, Motivation for Participation, because it's important for us to participate. Are we just spectators? Are we participators when we come to relationship with God? You know, um, just back 20 years ago, I know it seems unbelievable to share this story with, with you, but uh, a little bit over, Drew Bledsoe, who was the quarterback for the New England Patriots. By the way, and I'm not a Patriots fan, as you might know. And uh, he was a very good quarterback. In fact, from 1993 to 2001, he was the Patriots quarterback. In 1996, he brought the team to the Super Bowl appearance. And even though they lost against the Green Bay Packers, he was one of the top quarterbacks of that time. 
And in fact, at 2001, prior to his injury that occurred, in just a moment I'm going to share with you, the Patriots wanted to make him the franchise quarterback by adding another 10-year, $100,000 contract on him. But six months later, he got injured. And when he did, little did he know that it was just a, an injury that would sideline him for about two or three weeks that all of a sudden the backup quarterback of Tom Brady came in. Now, everybody knows Tom Brady. He's the GOAT now, the greatest of all time. I mean, he's the one who now has taken this team, this franchise, and he's taken it to a new level where everybody hates the Patriots now because they win all the time, almost as much as they hate the Yankees. But when all of that to say is that what happened to Drew Bledsoe who was a great quarterback at his time. In fact, let me just give you some of his stats. In the nine-year period that he was with the Patriots, he threw for 30,000 yards and had about 166 touchdowns. For those of you who know or don't know about touch, you know, touchdowns in football, that's a lot of touchdowns and a lot of yards passed. But yet this backup quarterback takes his place. And here was now Drew Bledsoe having to start over again and realize, wow, I'm the backup quarterback after being potentially the franchise quarterback for the New England Patriots. But Robert Kraft and Bill Belichick, who was the coach, and Robert Kraft, whose owner, said, I want the young man in, which Bill Belichick said, I'm doing my job. I'm putting the young man in. Now, Drew Bledsoe had to sit back, become the backup quarterback, call in the plays at best, or work with the offensive coordinator who's up there in the booth. And here he was, pretty much a fan, as what Tom Brady had said. You know, when you're the backup quarterback, you're pretty much just a fan watching the game. A true statement. Now, how did Drew Bledsoe realize that in all of his years, now he still has to participate in the game? But understand that in 2001, they did go to the Super Bowl, beat my L.A. Rams, who weren't St. Louis Rams, or they beat my Rams, but he still got a ring but he was the backup quarterback. And this is what he said, because he had to deal with it, realizing that he was no longer the starting quarterback. He said, I did some soul searching and decided that the only proper way to handle it was to go back to work and be the best teammate I could. I always liked and respected Tom, and I was proud of him. But at the same time, it was a tough thing to deal with because he had to realize that, okay, I'm in the game, but really not in the game. Kevin Cash, who now is the, the manager and has been for the past few years for the Tampa Bay Rays, he was, he was a member of the 2009 New York Yankees who went to the World Series and won the, the World Series. And here today, he has a ring for being on the Yankees. Now, I got to be honest with you. You know I me, mean? he didn't play much. He was a backup catcher. But in the time that he played, he was still a part of the team. He still got a ring just as much as Derek Jeter got a ring. But I'll be honest with you, one of my dreams was just to be a water boy. Uh, yes, Mr. Judge, can I get your water? Okay, Mr. Stanton, I'll go. Would that be two waters or one water? What, Gatorade? Would you like some Gatorade? Hey, because if I'm the water boy and I'm on the team and I'm participating, I get a ring because I'm on the team. But the whole idea is that whatever position you have, you're on the team. And it's teamwork, and it's coming together, and it's all hands on deck. Everyone plays a part. See, in a real world, what we call life, 
We have continued to become indoctrinated, trained, programmed, and even brainwashed to believe we live for our conveniences. We work hard, attempt to establish a good career in order to get the very best possible for, outside, for ourselves and for our families. Now, when thinking about this mindset, there no, there's nothing intrinsically incorrect to have a great work ethic and establish a good financial support for your family and yourself. Yet, when it is taken to a selfish extreme, it becomes a billboard of the American dream. Western American individualism. I will do whatever it takes to make my life as convenient as possible. I will look out for myself. Unfortunately, as human beings, we naturally gravitate toward this mindset. As believers, it's, it's a more difficult internal war in our members to take our focus off of self and put our focus on Christ because we know the Lord teaches us different from the Western American individualistic mindset. And in the scriptures, when you see the word you, it's not singular, it's plural. Pauline epistles are all, it's all written all over it, that we as the church are coming collectively and corporately together. This means that our individual personal preferences do not exist in this realm. We focus on the Lord's vision and move forward. What is God's desire for his people? What does the church, why does the church exist? Do we come to the church with the intention to receive or to give? See, as believers, who do we receive from? What do we give? Are we spectators or participators? See, because the spectator goes, gimme, 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 gimme. A participant says, I want to give. Romans 11, 17 through 19, it says this, but if some of the branches were broken off, Paul stating, which, is, which are the Israelites, and you, the Gentiles, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share, key word there, share in the nourishing root of the olive tree. Do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember it not you who support the root. It's not you, but the root that supports you. Then you will say branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. See, the word share there is the actual word in the Greek means to participate, to be a partner, to be a participant in the gospel. So when God grafted in the Gentiles versus the Jews, the Jews didn't realize that God said these unclean Gentiles will become a part. They'll share with you in this gospel. And the Jewish believers had a hard time with that because in their backdrop, in their background, they were taught not to be around unclean Gentiles. So the Jews did not want to see them as their partners. Why? Simply stated, it's just not Jews. They're unclean. They're heathens. They eat food prohibited to God. They have served false gods. They don't deserve it. I don't want to share with them. They don't praise God like we do. They don't honor God like we do. They don't have the same methods as we do. They're just not Jews. But if they want to share or partner with us, they need to do it the way we want them to do it. You see the mindset. But God grafted in the Gentile Christian in the fold through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And now we partake and now we should be called participators, not spectators. So as we participate, what's our motivation? 
Is it receiving something from the local church or giving it to God ourselves, our talents, our time, our money? By the way, it's not even our money. God gives us talents so that we can use it for his glory, his honor, and his praise. And our time, should not our time be his time because he's called us for a purpose? So all hands on deck just means that. It means that we all need to come together to participate in the calling of God. The fundamental nature of the motivation of our participation must derive from a foundational truth. What should motivate us? What should we participate in? And what do we do for God? Is, is it more important than what God has done for us? Yeah, those are the fundamental questions. So as we think about this, this motivation for participation, we, I see three things here. And I want you to just turn to Romans chapter 12, verse 1. We're just going to look through the book of Romans 12 for the next three weeks. Romans 12. And we want to know, what's our participation? What is it motivated by? Well, I believe, one, it's motivated by our calling. If you, if you look at Romans 12, it's our calling. Now, Paul is writing here to the Christians in Rome, to the believers who are there in the midst of Rome, in the midst of the politics, in the midst of all the tyranny and authoritative role of Rome and the lives of the Jews and on the lives of Gentiles who are becoming Christian as well. And he writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, let me just read that again. It's, I appeal. We got we to stop right there. We got to break there because I appeal. The word appeal is parakaleo in the Greek, which simply just means to come alongside of, to urge, to exhort, to encourage. It's a, it's a discipleship term in the book of Acts. You know, when you look at the book of Acts and how the church throughout the Pentecost, the church was inaugurated and the church was being established by being sent out to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria and all the uttermost parts of the world. In Acts 14, 22, there was a word here as well. And Paul, just prior to being stoned to death, prior to being stoned to death, Paul went back and, and if you look in chapter 14, he went back with Barnabas to Derby. And as he went back to Barnabas, to Derby, there he went back to preach the gospel. And there he went back to make more disciples. Now, wait a minute. Now, this man just almost got killed. What would motivate him to go back? What would motivate him to say, no, I got to go back? It was his calling. In Acts 9, we see that God called him to share the gospel, the, first, the three missionary journeys, to go all around by, by, by feet, by traveling, by whatever means that he had to, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. That was his passion. That is what he was called to. And when he was called to, he went back and he returned to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch, the place where people were ready to kill him and stone him to death, and yet he went back. And what was the word in verse 22 of chapter 14 of Acts? It says, and, they, and he went back to encourage them. The word encourage is parakaleo. And as he encouraged them, he encouraged them to continue in the faith. There was a man who wasn't afraid. He knew his calling. He wasn't going to back down because he knew that if he was going to participate in the sharing of the gospel, he was sharing in it in order to share it. So he's sharing and participating in God. And so, therefore, Paul's passion was to bring forth the gospel. But now you see it says, by the mercies of God. Now, that's 
poignant right there. That's very sharp and poignant right there because the mercies of God is a phrase there that Paul lays out saying, by the mercies of God, because in the first 11 chapters, in the writing of this letter, which now we know is the first 11 chapters, he talks about grace. He talks about righteousness. He talks about justification, sanctification, glorification. He talks about dying to self. He talks about living for God. He talks about letting go of sin and unrighteousness and living for God for holiness and righteousness. We see that, that that's the mercy of God. There's nothing we receive, nothing in our ability, nothing in, our, in ourselves that we receive, that it was God who did it through us. That's the calling. The calling to salvation and the calling of what he wants us to do. And so we see all of this for his work, for his glory. He sets us apart. And then why? Because when we share in it, when we participate in the gospel, we're going to share it. When God is doing a work in us, we're going to be excited to share it. And we're going to have a motivation. And that's participating in the work that God has for us. I mean, you look at Romans chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, Paul says this, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, the most unclean people of the time. He identified them specifically, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. He was under obligation, under debt to preach the gospel. That was his calling. And in 1 Corinthians 9, 16, he says this, For I, if I preach the gospel, if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, because it's not of him. It's the mercies of God. For necessity is laid up upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. So it was the opposite. It was a calling. He was participating. He wanted to share So it's important that our participation is motivated by our calling. Number two. Participation is motivated by our commitment, our commitment. Now, when he goes back in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, he says, now following in the after mercies of God, he says, present to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, the word present means this, uh, to offer, to bring, to present. And in, in, in the form that it is in the Greek, the aorist active indicative, it's the, indi- or excuse me, the infinitive goes back to the indicative, and the indicative is parakaleo. So Paul is urging them almost to the, to the point of an imperative that you need to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, understandably so, as we look at verse 1 and verse 2, we're going to see a little bit stronger language because as Paul's writing, he's writing with passion and he's writing with stronger language because God is impressing on him to impress on the people that they're called to present themselves. Now, understanding this, too, is that the body, when he talks about present your bodies, he's not talking about actually presenting your body, your physical body. Because if we had to present our physical body in, as like a living, as a living sacrifice or place it on an altar, it's like, okay, all right, who's gone now this week? Who's on this week? Who's on the altar this week? Who's lighting the match? Who's getting the wood? I mean, can you imagine that? I mean, that's crazy to think that because if we tried to do that, like in the Old Testament, we ever thought that we could do that, which we can't, but that would be the law. And if it would be the law, then it would be an insufficient offering because it's not sufficient. Christ had to be the one who was sufficient. He was a perfect substitutionary atonement. And he appeased the Father's wrath against sin. Therefore, he had to be a perfect sacrifice. So our sacrifice wouldn't be sufficient. No, what he's talking about is the mind and the heart. It's the entire being. 
the material and immaterial man of offering ourselves. You know, God never wants to take anything from us. You notice that? God doesn't take anything from us, although we think he does. Satan wants us to believe that he does. God says, I want you to give yourself to me. That's key. He never tries to take anything from us, but he wants us to give. That's why he's saying here, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, in the Old Testament, the Old Testament sacrifice was presented to God without blemish. And it was, it was accepted and it was pleasurable to God. It was pleasing to God. It was holy, set apart for God. And the sacrifice would be a specific animal that he would call for, the very best. But as believers, we are alive in Christ. So the living is not just the breathing. We are alive in Christ. Christ has made us to be that potential offering of a sacrifice to God, which would be pleasing. So the idea of holy there and acceptable is that living is a, is a participle with two adjectives identifying that the emphatic is that we to come living before the throne of God, but we, with the holiness of it is to be set apart and pleasing to him. Now, what it does mean is this, is that we just simply offer ourselves when we come to the offer, altar. We give ourselves to the Lord as a commitment, as a devotion, as dedication unto God. In other words, we walk up to the altar and just stay still. We don't move. We shouldn't be distracted. We shouldn't be negotiating with God. What stops us from going to the altar? Possibly pride. I can do this myself. I don't need to get involved with Christianity that much. I don't need to be that excited about God, do I? I don't have time to get involved, Lord. I'm busy. I've got things to do. Lord, there's not enough minutes in a day for me to really get involved. So what are we bowing down to? What are we committed to that's taking the place of our need to go to the altar and to offer ourselves? Could it be sin? Is there obvious sin in our lives? Is it gossip? Is it slander? Is it judging others? We just feel the need to judge others so that we can feel better about ourselves. Is it just others need to live according to our standards? Jealousy, envy, anger. You know, Galatians 5, 19 and 20 through 21, there's a whole list there. But see, God's calling us to be a living sacrifice. And a living sacrifice leads to living faith. When we die to self, when we present ourselves, God is doing a work in us. And when we die to self, that means his life is living in us, the power of the Holy Spirit. No more grieving or quenching the Spirit. So when we know there's sin in our lives, we have to offer ourselves. And God wants us to be that living sacrifice, ready for him to do his life in us. I have seen and have heard so many Christians, and what happens is all of us, we struggle with seeing living faith in our lives because maybe we're just not dying enough, and we need to die enough. We need to get to that altar and die. You know, even he says, Romans 6, 12, and 13, it says this, that um, if you guys can switch that for me, it says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments but for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, to your members to God as instruments for righteousness. 
So, so the idea is that we have to die to self of righteousness and to present ourselves as from death to life. God took us from death to life through his son. We were, without Christ, we were eternally separated from God, but through Christ, we now have eternity life, eternal life, and we have the promises and the assurance of eternal life. And then he goes on to say this in verse 19. He says, I am speaking in human terms. But he goes, but he, he goes on to say this, for just as you were once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to, un, to righteousness, leading to sanctification. So the question is this, when you go before the altar, are you stalling? Are you brawling? Maybe some of you are like, I'm not even a brawler. But are you going up and you're crawling off? Or are you falling to your knees and surrender to God? You know, Abraham and Isaac, when they had to go to, up to the mountain and God called for Isaac or for Abraham to offer his son as an offering to God, Abraham was obedient and he went up there. And Isaac asked the question, I don't see the lamb, the offering. And Abraham, I mean, the, the answer was an incredible answer with wisdom and courage. He said, the Lord will provide it. And see, the Lord will continue to provide. The Lord will continue to provide, but we have to be willing to die. Number three, number three, I think we need to be motivated in our participation by character. I think it's important for us to see that. Romans chapter 2, verse 2, it says this, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, see, understand this. He had just finished and saying that, it was holy and acceptable, which is our spiritual worship. Now, the word spiritual worship in verse 1 means this. It just means a reasonable service. So as you think about it, the reasonable service is that if God has done all these things with the mercy of God, if God has done all these things and it's worked out to where he's provided salvation, isn't it a reasonable service to offer ourselves and present ourselves and to present ourselves in a way that God is honored? I mean, think about it when you're, when you're realizing with character, God is saying that we're called to it. We're called that that is a priority, that is a motivation, that is for our participation, that God is more interested in our character than he is in our talents. And through it, that God desires for us not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed in the renewal of our mind. Now, conformed means this. It means to form according to a pattern or mold. To form to a, a, according to a, power, you know, a pattern or a mold. So in this, it's a present middle imperative, which means this, that, that Paul's saying you need to continuously offer yourself not to be conformed to this world. It's a command. We're not to be conformed to this world. We have the world around us, and the world means present age. And we know in the Bible it says that the God of this world is Satan, where selfishness and flesh and the natural, they, it prevails. And so we're not to be conformed because in our world we know there are social, 
political and ethical patterns that exist in our society. Our minds and our hearts are, are either, either formed to this world or transform the renewal of our minds. So we're not to continuously do that. We have these outside forces that are attempting to change us. The media, politics, culture. I mean, they're just, what I call it, I call them the twisters. I'm not talking about tornadoes, but they're the, I call them the truth twisters. They present truth, but they're twisting it. So when you hear a report about something that's happened with the president or a candidate or a senator or a congressman or a congresswoman, what you do is you go, is that true? Who said it? Let me look up another story. And you're like, do, 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 do. And you're going through your phones and you're looking up social media and trying to find out what's true. But they're always blocking out and they're trying to give you this information to try to get you to come in and be conformed to their pattern to make you even fear that could it be true or not. It's all this twisting of, it's the meeting of the minds and the twisting of the truth. The marketers do it. It's materialism. It's media. They just want to conform you and I to these things. Satan is behind it. It's this world that's working at that. And we cannot, as the people of God, we're commanded not to allow that. We should not let that pattern us. But sometimes we do. Sometimes we hear these things. Sometimes we get caught up in which party we're going to vote. Remember, you have responsibility, one thing, to vote. Whichever party, is our world really going to end whoever becomes our president? Are we the people of God according to politics? Did the Christians of the first century look to Rome? I mean, who are we looking to? Now, don't get me wrong. We all want a certain candidate to win or a certain party, but that's not the point. The point is, is it over for us? I hear people saying, it's over. It's over if it happens. Why? What's our motivation? Why are we allowing the world to consume us? We're not to be conformed. And, and don't get me wrong. I struggle with it every day. I have to battle with that every day. I have to preach to myself every day. Don't do it. But here's what it comes down to. Peter was even writing that to the Christians when they were being killed for just being Christians, when Nero was killing Christians, lighting them up like light posts. And this is what Peter said. He says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Don't lean that way. Don't get caught up in your flesh. Why? Because even Paul said it, the God of this age, he says, for even if our gospel is veiled, for even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. See, we get to see the glory of God in the gospel. God has unveiled our eyes. We're able to see that. We don't have to be conformed to the pattern and molding of this world. See, that's why Paul went on to saying that we have to be transformed. And if you look there in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says, but be transformed, which we know the word is metamorphosis. That's the Greek word. The trans, the morphing, the forming that God is forming our minds and our hearts towards him, that he's moving in our hearts. And in that, that's the present active imperative. And, excuse me, present passive imperative. God is doing the work. It's God actively working in our lives. And it's a command now from verse 1, which was close to a command when he says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now he's saying you need to do that. Now here's the command. 
You need to be transformed. And the only way you and I are going to be renewed in the mind of Christ, if we die to self, if we present ourselves as a living sacrifice to God, then he's doing that work. We can't do it ourselves. We can't conjure this up. We can't make ourselves a better Christian unless it's through the power of the Holy Spirit when we surrender and submit. That's what sanctification is about. It's about dying to self. It's about presenting ourselves before the altar of God. It's not stalling. It's not brawling. It's not crawling off. It's falling on our knees and saying, God, do a work that only you can do. That's transformation. And that's what God desires for each of us. But sometimes we don't. Sometimes we allow this world to conform our minds. And I really believe it's not even the battle with the world. Sometimes I believe it's a battle with God because we just don't want to change. We don't want to believe that we're supposed to change. We look at ourselves in the mirror and go, hmm. You're a handsome guy. Let me put a little bit more of that in my hair. You know, and you look at it and you're going, leg, I look pretty good. Or the girls are sitting there going, psh, 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 I look pretty good. But that's not what it's about. It's God saying, I want to change the inward. That's why metamorphosis means this, to change inwardly and fundamental character or condition. It's being changed. So God wants to change the inside our hearts and our minds, to renew our hearts, to bring forth a new mind away from the mindset of the natural, the self, what Satan is doing around us. Because even it goes on further, he says this, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, he says, and we all with unveiled face, to what Courtney was singing when he was, she was presenting in the book of Revelation, we are going to see the glory of God, but we even see part of it now. The unveiled face, the blinders are removed. We get to see the gospel, the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. And he says, beholding the glory of God are being transformed into the same image. From one degree of glory to another. So God is doing a work. Who are we that God would even be mindful of us, that he would even allow us to get a little peek of his glory? I am moved with such passion to saying we don't deserve it. We must humble ourselves because we become such arrogant Christians thinking we deserve more than we can. But God is saying, present yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, for this is your reasonable service. Because I want to use you. I want to change you. I want to bring a living faith in you. I don't want you to grieve and quench the spirit of God because I want to do a work in you, but I want you to do a work for my kingdom. I want you to participate. All hands on deck. We all work together. We share the gospel. When we share in it, we share it. That's the glory of God. And God presents himself that is the glory that God gives to us. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. The Holy Spirit who is Lord. The third person of the Trinity. And we're being changed and transformed. He is renewing our minds through the power of the Holy Spirit. So the world twists the truth while the Holy Spirit tells the truth. Because the Holy Spirit is truth. Thy word is truth. Sanctify them by the truth. The Father's truth. Jesus is truth. The truth will set you free. That's when he tells us the truth. God is changing our character over and over from one degree to the next. It's progressive sanctification. And I want to tell you something. I get excited thinking about this because God is still not done with me yet. And I praise him every day that even though I mess up every day multiple times, that God is still saying, I'm still for you, son. I'm still for you. It's okay. It's okay if you mess up. Because I love you 
I loved you first. I sent my son. That is such a comforting word from God. When I look at myself in the mirror and all I see is Bruno, I praise God that Jesus reminds me, you're mine. Don't forget, you're mine. That is a beautiful reminder of what God wants to do in all of us. That's why our strongest motivation is the opportunity to partner with God to accomplish his will. The mind, as a commentary stated, I love this, because the mind renewed enables us to discern the will of God, released from the control of the world around us, we can come to know what God has in mind for us. We will find that his will is good, pleasing, and perfect. It is good because it brings about moral and spiritual growth. It is pleasing to God because it is an expression of his nature. It is perfect in that no one could possibly improve on what God desires to happen. That's the will of God. You know, that's why in the last part of chapter 2, or chapter 12, verse 2, it says this, that, you, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect. It's the purpose that when we are renewed, when we surrender ourselves, when we present ourselves, when we die to self, when we are putting ourselves on the altar as a living sacrifice and God is transforming us and renewing of our mind, then we're able to test and know the will of God. That it's perfect, that it's good and acceptable. So what's the heart of our motivation for participation. I hope that it is by the fact of our calling, our commitment, and our character. So what is your offering on the altar? Are you stalling? Are you brawling? Are you crawling away? Or are you falling before the Lord? When we totally surrender, we join God to accomplish his will. All hands on deck. Let's participate. Let's be participators. God's called us. I want to give you just a moment right now, just for about 40 to 60 seconds before we end our service. What is that one thing or many things that maybe you're distracted or you're negotiating with God or trying to figure out? What are those many things that you're saying, I'm not bringing it to the altar and I need to? It might be one thing. But I want to give you just a moment to close your eyes, to bow your heads. And, and if it's that one thing you know is in your life, whatever it is, if it's a sin, whatever it is, I want you to name it and talk to God. Just take a moment. Father, I pray today that your people who are called by your name would humble themselves and pray. And that name is Jesus. Father, I pray as you sent your son Jesus that we, we as Christians who bear the name of Christ would submit to the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives and come to the altar as a living sacrifice. Not to allow this world to conform us 
to the pattern and molding of this world, but to be transformed by you in the renewing of our minds so that we can discern your will, that perfect, good, and acceptable will. Oh, God, pray that you would challenge your people to participate with you, that the foundational core and truth of us participating in anything starts with our relationship with you. May we be sanctified and set apart. As we talk next week about gifts, which specific gifts that we have to be participating in the corporate work that you have for your people, I pray that we'll be used of you in a mighty way. Thank you for all that you're doing at Grace Church, even in the midst of a pandemic. You're an awesome God, and we love you for even considering us. In Jesus' name.